Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to On The Bench. I'm Zach Blostein, a rare host uh, on this show, but I'm hosting today and I'm joined by my two co-hosts in Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee. Fellas, how are you doing today? Fantastic, Zach. Great to hear your voice. The host with the most. Um, Man, he is extra. So yeah, a uh, few housekeeping items to get into first uh, before we get into the meat of the podcast. Obviously, uh, the sponsor of this show, Chattanooga Whiskey. Brennan, why do we love Chattanooga Whiskey so much? It's delicious whiskey. They are killing it in the craft whiskey market, um, making some other Tennessee distilleries very uncomfortable. But we, we appreciate their support. They do a great job with uh, their baseline bourbon. Their 111 cast strength bourbon is excellent. Bottle and bond if you can find it. And then they have a ton of different experimental uh, versions of their whiskey as well, wine finish, sherry cask finish, all sorts of stuff. So Chattanooga Whiskey is a great sponsor, a great product. Uh, they actually hooked us up with some bottles that we we're going to Ooh. to spread around uh, among the Knowles twenty four seven staff. I think that got Chris Neves' attention. So yeah, we're uh, we're excited to to continue to embark on this partnership. Oh yeah, um, and we've got a, a sick promo going on over at Knowles twenty four seven dot com right now. If you haven't seen it already on our site, but um fsu's leading collective the battle's end announced a partnership with these guys over here at Knowles 24 7 um basically you sign up for battle's end and you get a free month subscription at Knowles 24 7 um that's going on throughout the entirety of spring practice so from now until april 15th fsu's spring showcase or spring game um make sure to take advantage of that obviously um you're you're supporting the battle's end and also becoming a member of our site, which is, you know, a huge benefit to, to us and, and FSU's NIL uh, endeavors. A link with further information on that. It's the fourth thing currently slotted on the front page. We'll consistently try to keep it prominently featured on the front page. So if you're looking for more information to learn more about that, you can look there. You can also reach out to us via our Twitter or also the battles End Twitter as they continue to welcome more to the family. My DMS are open. If you guys need help. Just spam him, please. Um, boys, are we going to Ireland? Well, I know I am. I've made the executive decision that, yes, I'm going to send myself to Ireland. Did you already, you already asked our bosses for permission? No, I'm just going. <laughs> like two years out. Um, no, but what are we I'm doing? In, I'm in the second decade. I don't ask for permission anymore. FSU traveling to open their season in Dublin, Ireland in 2024 against Georgia Tech. It was previously scheduled for an away game away game you're not losing a home game for all the fans that were uh, pissed off about that um but no what do we think about this move i think you know it looks pretty good on paper florida state's probably not losing any money doing this because uh, i think it was announced in that press conference that the expenses will be paid for chris i want your thoughts as you know the irish representative uh, on this podcast 
I'm excited for it. I think it'll be a great experience. I've been to Ireland. I absolutely love it there. Uh, everything you hear about the people being welcoming, it's true. Uh, greenest place on earth. If you love a good pub, it's unbelievable there. They are sporting fans, maybe not American football, but plenty of things. Rugby, obviously, being one of those that's huge over there. It, it's a great place. It's well worth it. You know, I think some people are going to play the ticket lottery and then build their own packages. There's also the packages through, I think, SeminolesToIreland.com is a website that they're offering packages through. If you want to get an idea of potential costs of some of that, you can look at the packages for this year's game, which is Notre Dame versus Navy over there, or talk to people that went to Northwestern versus Nebraska last season. Uh, and speaking to people that have experienced past games there, specifically Northwestern, Nebraska, they loved it, said it was awesome. I know when FSU made the decision to do this, part of the reason that Mike Norvell jumped on board, you know, giving it a thumbs up, was conversations with Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern about it. Um, you know, I, I think the only maybe negative about all of it is travel. It's probably six to eight hours. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of work to do. But having Bruce Warwick, who worked in the NFL and was with the Rams, and I think actually navigated some international games during his time in the NFL, he, he will help to navigate some of that. Plus, I think having other teams that have done it, such as Northwestern, Nebraska, and you know, upcoming New Navy and Notre Dame, I think that will help FSU to be able to plan and do it effectively. Another thing we learned in Monday's press conference, Dog and Pony Show officially announcing this game, was that FSU is expected to play on Labor Day of that same season. I previously had mentioned that when we reported the FSU-Ireland game. Uh, the expectation is that will be Boston College on that Labor Day, and then I believe they would have their first of three buys in that season, and then Memphis a week later on. I think it's September 14th or so. So that kind of lays out that first month of the 2024 season. What is a dog and pony show? I don't know. I mean, I'm using it in the term of, like, we didn't really learn anything new on Monday. It was more about putting, you know, FSU representatives such as Michael Alford, President McCall, uh Mike Norvell and others, as well as people tied to Erlingus and Ireland and the council that helped put this game together all on stage together. Everybody kind of patting each other on the back, talking about it while also promoting it and directing people to a website to buy tickets. So, uh, you know, some press conferences are all about information. Others are sort of like a uh, brochure came to life. And that's what Monday felt more like. I know we're like a year and a half away, but Brendan, do you think this sets up well for for the opening portion of, of Florida State's 2024 season? Yeah, I love it. I love it for FSU, uh, and it's it's tough to tell like who's starting quarterback is going to be. It won't be Jordan Travis at that point, and I'm not going to get into like I guess what the roster composition is going to be like. But uh, you're going to get two marquee televised games to start the season. I think that's huge. Uh, the brand is really strong for FSU. Chris mentioned that extra bye week. Uh, that's going to be big throughout the course of the season. Like you're going to have, have that ability to get some rest. And I think one of the, the big uh, frustrations that, that a select few expressed when the initial Ireland game was scheduled was, oh, like jet lag and fatigue for later in the season. Well, having that second game, that week one game on Labor Day buys you an extra two or three days to recover. Like I, I think it just on paper, of course, it's a schedule, so it's all on paper, but it just makes a ton of sense for Florida State. Uh, it sets up to be really, really positive start to the season against two lower end ACC teams that you get on marquee platforms. Like, yeah, like that's that's a really good way to to get things going from a PR perspective for FSU. And then, you know, in theory, just to, to be able to start two and zero. 
uh, before you even get into your first bye week with with multiple buys that season. Yeah, it, it sets up to be really strong for FSU. Chris? Yeah, make no mistake. The, the fact that FSU is going to be the only show in town on a week zero game and then the only show in town for a Labor Day game. It furthers many of those things you've recently heard in board of trustee meetings where uh, VPA Alford, AD Alford, has pushed FSU's presence on TV, the box office boys, for lack of a better description. And that's going to continue that narrative. Now, I mean, it makes it abundantly clear FSU expects to still be in the ACC in 2024. Uh, not that anybody on this show has ever acted like that wasn't likely to come the case. But, you know. FSU is going to continue to prove that they are a draw nationally and, hey, now internationally. So, you know, as they do that and they build their case for whatever is next after they depart this conference or this conference alters to give FSU the money it's properly due, FSU is going to continue to build the situation where it proves, yes, we're, we're owed, we deserve more of what we're getting. I'm going to find my way to Ireland somehow, even if it requires me sneaking in Chris's luggage. Um, moving on. Brendan, I'm going to stick with you here. Um, there's a situation unfolding with Florida State defensive end, veteran defensive end, Derek McClendon. What's going on? So as we record this on Thursday morning, I'll just kind of show our work, I guess, and kind of go down with what we've reported and what we know right now. And, and I won't jump too much at, at this very moment into like prognosticating what's going to happen. We can afterwards, but but basically it came, uh, it became aware on Tuesday morning that there was something going on with Derek McClendon uh, in terms of him not being happy. So there was a developing situation. Start, start, it kind of just let, was going to let that play out develop. But then we started getting people, many people reaching out to us, uh, Zach, myself, uh, I think Chris as well. We were all getting uh, some level of, of people inquiring. So it was starting to trickle out there beyond just the scope of like our text group. Right. Uh, and so start chasing, start digging, start calling sources, spent a lot of time yesterday working phones and just trying to figure out like what, what was happening. And so this is what I can gather. Derek, Derek McClendon, FSU's uh, starting defensive end from last year, multi-year contributor has seven sacks over the last two seasons. Someone who certainly has a level of value on this roster has not been around the team for the last several days. I believe since the team got back from spring break, uh, started on Sunday evening, they had a Sunday evening dinner uh, and he was not there with the team. Uh, I've, what I can gather is he's someone who has had some level of frustration with uh, how he's his perceived value within the program uh, since this offseason. We've kind of even seen him hint at that on social media. You know, he tweeted about a graphic that had a bunch of transfers on it to do some kind of schedule release, I think it was, and that he ended up. Uh, I don't know if he ended up removing the that frustration, but basically said, oh, this this program is built by transfers. So he's voiced frustration over social media a couple times, uh, I think. That was frustration spilling over publicly that that's been brewing for a little while now. I think the straw that broke the camel's back for him against the source through through multiple people at this point was that he was not voted to the team unity council, which is basically a group of players who are voted on by other players to represent them in meetings with coaches and to kind of be the leaders of the locker room. Uh, and so I think his frustration of not feeling super valued and, and wondering what his role is going to be with with an influx of pass rushers on this roster in 2023 then was combined with uh, maybe not feeling appreciated by current teammates uh, this is a situation as far as i understand it is still developing but ultimately the, this all boils down to him 
weighing the possibility of, of transferring out of Florida State. He graduated, I believe, in December. That would make him a graduate transfer, which means he would, if he if he wants to uh, transfer, he he can transfer now. He wouldn't have to wait into, until the uh, window opens up for undergrad transfers post-spring. So I, I yeah. think that's everything that's currently ongoing. I think Derek has appeared in roughly 38 games, I believe it is, in his career. It's right around the 40 mark over the four years he's been here. Obviously, this past season was his most productive and started to show signs of really turning a corner, taking a next step. He's a solid two-deep contributor on this football team this year as things stand right now. They've obviously got a nice little stockpile of talent in that room with the addition of a Gilbert Edmund, Patrick Payton's emergence last year, Jared Versus' return. DMAC, I think, falls into that category with those guys as somebody who's going to help him at the position if he is to stay and remain in the program. Uh, In general, good dude. I believe he won the McGrother Award last year. It's humanitarian award on the football team. So, like, he's not a bad pill, but, you know, emotions sometimes get the better of people, and I, I get it. I think he's been frustrated kind of throughout it, as Brendan laid out, speaking on some of the situations he's uh, dealt with in the last couple of years, been vocal about. But at some point, you got to figure it out one way or the other, like what it is for you or is it not for you? And I think that's where DMAC's at, at the crossroads, at the split. And he's going to have to figure out which path he's going to go down, whether that's being all in and, you know, hopefully playing towards an NFL future potentially or going elsewhere and figuring it out for himself somewhere different. If he does end up entering the portal, Brendan, do you think Florida State's okay depth wise i i guess you know both depth and just the overall talent uh perspective at defensive end are they going to be fine in 2022 or 2023 so the first name that comes to mind as we try to like weigh maybe the chain reaction in this happening or at least a part of it or or at least someone who becomes a more pronounced member uh, assuredly like if if Derek mcclinton leaves uh, a member of the pass rush is going to be gilbert edmund the south carolina transfer and I'm not convinced. I mean, we are, as we're recording this, four four spring practices in. Uh, day five is is occurring later today. I'm not convinced after what I've seen with this limited sample size that Gilbert Edmund would not be the starter over Derek McClendon by the time the 2023 season comes around if DMAC were to stay. I don't think it really matters who that starter is because they're going to rotate the guys around so much at defensive end, which, which is going to start getting to your point here, Zach, or your question. I think the depth at defensive end and, and more so holistically the defensive line because they're going to use someone like Braden Fisk in multiple spots. And we got a glimpse of his athleticism uh, racing Mike Norvell the other day. I, I think that the pass rush and more so the depth along the defensive line is as good as it's been maybe in maybe in eight, nine years. Like it's it's pretty high. And maybe since the, the Josh Sweat, Demarcus Walker, Brian Burns, group this is probably the best just from a depth perspective of having a different array of of body types and experience and skill sets pure edge rushers like jared verse is the starting point right like you know what he is you have uh patrick payton acc defensive rookie of the year and and someone i think his his best football still ahead of him like he's only can keep getting better but really like that uh, that domino that's going to fall like to determine just how good you are is going to probably be Gilbert Edmund because he is someone who's still ascending as a talent, but you, you can see all the tools there when you watch him in practice. He he hustles. He has a lot of energy. He's strong. He's got really good length uh, and a good first step as well as about kind of polishing all those tools with, with pass rush skills. So I think they have 
three good defensive ends that you know what you're going to get to an extent. There's a baseline there. The key is that fourth end, this Byron Turner, that guy. As we're having Derek McClendon's in there, as you knew what he was going to be and what he was going to give you, and there's something valuable to that. You can never have too many pass rushers. But to answer your question directly, I think they'll be okay. But I'd rather have Derek McClendon on this year's roster. Yes, he, he's a quality defensive end at the Power 5 level. Uh, does does losing him totally derail your projection of what you should do from a pass rush perspective? No, it just puts more emphasis on a guy who might be slightly ahead of him and Gilbert Edmond to step up a little bit. And then probably someone who who is going to be behind Derek McClendon and, and Byron Turner to to maybe elevate and go from being a luxury piece this year to someone who who has to be in the rotation. Yeah, some of the goals of the added depth on the defensive line as a whole with additions like Gilbert Edmond, Braden Fisk, for example, uh, also Miami transfer on the interior there, is to basically allow rotation of that group. For guys to play as hard as humanly possible, give it their all, and know there's a next guy up, we can come out. And, you know, you're going from potentially five at DN, true DNs, to four if you were to lose DMAC. And that's really where it factors in. And it does force Byron Turner that the time is a little bit more now for him. And Turner's had flashes through the early portion of spring here. The biggest thing with Byron Turner's career has been availability. If he can stay consistently healthy, I think he will start showing signs that he's a very capable football player who can help them from a depth perspective. I, I do think, and that, that maybe Chris mentioned rotation, and like I think that means a couple things. Like one depth. Right, we just talked about. Uh, do you have waves of guys you can send to go even like a defensive tackle three deep, but then also flexibility when we talk about the rotation. Like someone like a Dennis Briggs, can you use him? In he's a really good inside pass rusher. He was not a good defensive end last year, but he was good being kicked inside. Can you move him around in like a three man front or or find different ways to use him along with Braden Fist to give you a little bit of athleticism and length in pass rush situations? Uh, is Jared Verse someone that you can kick inside sometimes? Can you have him stand up? Can you go with like a five-man defensive front like the Philadelphia Eagles have used? Like, And so, yeah, Derek would have been, again, a piece of that. But I think if we're like talking about all these different malleable, versatile chess pieces, I think he probably offered some of the lower end upside or offers some of the lower end upside of like where you can move him around. Whereas other guys, you have the ability to play three, four spots effectively and get really creative. Derek McClendon, you know what he is. He's an edge rusher. He's going to play with a lot of energy, decent athleticism, decent strength, but probably not someone that you're you're factoring in into like your game plan of like, oh, he's going to set up this mismatch for us. That, that's not going to be what Derek is at this point in his career. Yeah, the best version of DMAC was probably Clemson game last year, if I remember correctly. I think that's probably the best game he's played in a Seminole uniform. He did play well against in big games. I will get like that is something that is a nice like underlying factor against Florida, against Clemson. DMAC has played well. And again, if he does enter the transfer portal, he will have a probably pretty robust market. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe he'll be valued the way that he wants to be valued. Yeah. And that that's also just because the edge position is just so such a valued position in, in football now. Um, and especially in the transfer portal where it's just so few and far between. You're mm-hmm. going to find any quality guys. Um, on that note, do you think edge should be a position Florida State takes a look at when the portal win- window opens up for undergraduate transfers uh, at the beginning of May? Yes. It should always be a position that you look at because you can never have too many. Like, like again, going back to the Philadelphia Eagles, like look how they built that year, that last year's roster with one of the best pass rushes that we've seen in, in modern football. Like they set waves of, of guys at you. Chris, why are you patting your head? Is it because I was patting my head? I thought no. we were just mimicking each other. Um no. Sorry. That's okay. 
three, two, one. <laughs> uh, but they set waves of pass rushers at you with like different body types. And you know, they, they'd have three, 300 pounders on the defensive line sometimes. And they'd have like a NASCAR package with like different, they just did all sorts of cool things. So if you're, if you're GM Derek Gray and you're evaluating your roster, if you have one or two extra scholarships available, they may not, they have to get rid of about five or six guys or five or six guys leave to get under the scholarship limit uh, in preseason camp. Uh, but if you do have one or two to toy with, like, why wouldn't you explore defensive end? And I don't know if it's a necessity with Derek McClendon leaving. Uh, it would have been a luxury before. Uh, so maybe it becomes more of like a, a somewhere between a need and a luxury, something that would, would help you if you can find the right guy. You don't have to take a guy. Uh, but, yeah, I think you would definitely explore one. At least I would if I were if I were managing this this roster. I think it also speaks to you got to see how spring plays out. You know, we've talked about this some. Um, while watching practices, if Marion Cooper, if Duke Cooper does a very good job at safety, that changes a need at that spot, for example. Uh, if Byron Turner emerges, maybe you don't feel there is a need at defensive end. When you're over in numbers, the luxury to add is probably going to be very limited, one or two maybe, if you're able to get to the numbers you need to get to. So you're going to have to be extremely selective. But I agree with Brendan's earlier comment. If you can go get a good DN, you always go get a good DN, regardless of how good your situation is. It's just a position where those guys change games drastically. It's like having a high-level offensive tackle. There's only so many of them in the world. If you can have a bunch of them at one time, then, yeah, be greedy. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think it becomes even more of a priority now that, you know, if Derek McClendon does end up, end up entering the portal, just for depth purposes, like, you know, God forbid you have some injuries uh, at that position. You want to have guys that you can plug and play. Um, obviously, you're not going to probably re- get anywhere close to the level of a guy like Jared Verse, but you can find some quality dudes in the portal um, at that position. I think that should be a, a spot that Florida State looks at when the portal window opens up on May 1st. Um, Florida State was back in pads and, and practicing on Tuesday. Um, coming off a, a week-long spring break where they did not practice. I guess, first of all, let's just talk about overarching takeaways from FSU's first practice back. Brendan, what did you think of kind of the overall effort? I know Mike Norvell was talking a lot after practice about how he was a little disappointed on the tempo in between plays, but do you agree with that? Um, just kind of what, what were your takeaways from practice? Yeah, I thought it was a, a sloppy practice, especially for the offense. It looked like a group of players who had just come off of a week of not practicing football, a week of spring break. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was a bad practice. I wasn't, I wasn't aghast with like how awful this this team was or anything like that. I just thought it wasn't super crisp. And you know, Mike Marvell is an offensive minded coach, and and I've noticed that throughout covering him, he is in a, a good mood when the offense performs well, uh, and is slightly less good mood and the offense performs poorly and and i thought the defensive line was really good uh on on tuesday in the first practice back and i also thought that the wide receivers and and backs put the ball on the ground too often uh for for anyone's liking and i'm sure that combination made it feel like a pretty daunting practice for the offense so uh, but no it was it was a first day back type of vibe i had not i anticipate today when we're when we're out there this this afternoon for it to be much crisper and and much cleaner, and I imagine Mike's probably going to be pretty happy with the group going into Saturday's scrimmage. Yeah, mission takeaway had a success, successful day. Um, that's always good to see. KJ Kirkland's a guy who, through four practices, it just seems like his name's always coming up. Dre Jacobs is a young man, freshman, 
who had a very strong practice. He got talked about a good bit by Mike Morville afterwards, and it was deserved. Like he was one of those guys that stood out on the day. Punt returns weren't very clean as far as fielding the ball, which I'm not long-term concerned about. But you are, you are obviously trying to find a replacement for Micah Pittman with the expectation that he may not be available at the start of the season or potentially at any point during the season, depending on how he comes back from the injury that he has spoken about on his vlog. Um, those were kind of the biggest takeaways for me. I, the general thing I've taken from the first two weeks of spring minus the week of spring break that we had smack in the middle is that again, very talented football team. Like it's, it used to be guys stood out because they were so far elevated over a vast majority of the roster. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of that anymore. I feel like there's a whole lot of not parody, but a whole lot of good players playing alongside one another. And the competition is good. And the ability to break up like a break uh, first team unit going against each other or, you know, 22 depth on each side of ball versus each other. And then second, basically third and fourth team going against each other, breaking up and having a little bit more action at times. I think it speaks to how the depth of this team has been replenished at a high level because that's not something that was wholeheartedly available to him in past seasons. What about you, Zachary? What stood out to you? Man, I just, you know, we mentioned it wasn't the most crisp, crisp practice. Um, but when I think back a year ago, we were talking about the offensive struggling, like offensive struggles at in spring ball. And it'd be like, we'd watch an entire practice and there'd be like three completed passes. Like that was like the offense struggling. Now the offense struggling is like, they're not putting like back to back, like great plays together. Like we're still seeing, you know, plays develop downfield. The, the backup quarterbacks make some strong plays. Like that just wasn't a thing last year. And we saw how, how potent the offense was during the season. So just, no, I think that's just an encouraging thing as you look at overall trends year over year. Um, I think, you know, like Chris said, the talent level is just so much better than what it's been in years past. So I think that's my biggest takeaway. I want to get into specific standouts. I guess we can, do you want to go position by position or just talk overall standouts? Um, well, I, pertaining to your point about the offense having good moments, despite it being kind of a bad offensive day in quotations on day four, Kyle Morlock had a good day. Vandragos yeah. Jacobs had a good day. Tron had a good day. Um, Ja'Kai Douglas had a couple really nice plays on the day. That, that's four guys right there catching the ball downfield, making things happen. And we know what they have in their running back room. And practices, you know, with the running backs, it's more about right, taking the right tracks, reading it correctly, and getting the blocking up front you want to see. Till they really scrimmage, the running backs are sort of, you know, a little more under wraps outside of very select portions of practice where they're going full tilt 11 on 11 type stuff. There's a whole lot more throwing on air one-on-ones and stuff of that sort where the passing game is much more on display. I, I got a name on offense to add. Uh, Casey Roddick, I thought was really mm -hmm. good on, on Tuesday. And that and was I, after he struggled some. Yeah. First I was going to say, I didn't think he had a great first week. Um, there were days where some struggles with snapping at times and just in general, some of the stuff he was doing, he just didn't look, I don't know if comfortable is the right word. He, he didn't look like he was firing on all cylinders. He did on Tuesday. And that's a reminder that four practices is what we've seen, two days in pads. Like This is a ridiculously small sample size that we're, we're talking about. And it's great that we get this access and that you guys listening get to hear our thoughts on it. But uh, one bad day does not make or break a player. Uh, and, and I think on Tuesday with Casey Roddick, we got to see – the high end of like, oh, that's that's why they were so excited to get him. That's why they were having to fend off USC and Oklahoma. You've never getting his commitment. People mover. Yes, he. Yeah. That's a 
great way to put it, Chris. I think that's what stood out is he in multiple type of blocking schemes too was able to to create space at a very high level. And like, yes, that that's why you you take that guy and um that's why you're excited about him at center or guard, I think. Yeah, I guess I want to move like kind of a little bit position by position, just talking about overall um what we thought of these groups, quarterbacks, I guess. Obviously, Jordan Travis is Jordan Travis. We know we're getting out of him. Is he still ascending, Brendan? Yeah, it's it's funny with Jordan. Like they're not. Um, like Mike said, that Jordan probably won't scrimmage, scrimmage. a ton on Saturday yeah. or if at all. And it, with Jordan, they just know what they have with him. So it makes it honestly really difficult for me to judge him in a in a one or two day window. I just he's he's got a command of the offense. He knows what he's doing. I. I feel just super confident with everything that he's doing. And I think he's super confident with everything that he's doing. Um, yeah. I, I like Jay Traff. I love how Brock Lund goes about his work. And I think it's been very good for AJ Duffy that Brock Lund exists. I think it's helped AJ get pushed a little bit more. AJ had a couple really good days early in the spring. I, I want to put the last two on par with the first two, I guess is the best way I can say it. But I do think AJ's, asserting himself more in the sense of like feeling a little bit of there's a guy behind me and Brock Glenn comes to work every day. Like I, I very much like how Brock Glenn goes about doing his business in practices You know, for, what a, guy, about- for a guy who obviously shouldn't expect to start or probably even play this year because he's, there's four quarterbacks in that room under scholarship. I think Brooklyn. We talked about it after the the first week. I think he's going to be all right. I, I, there's yeah. a lot to like about him. But uh, as it applies to AJ Duffy, I was talking to someone the other day about it, uh, and they they basically said that they think that that Brooklyn's the best thing that could have happened for AJ Duffy. Just not just to even have a scholarship quarterback, but have that specific mindset of a scholarship quarterback to push AJ Duffy. That Chris mentioned that that work ethic that that Brooklyn has. Uh, that's going to help elevate AJ Duffy and coaches have talked about that on record. Like that, that's the thing that that seems to be existing and we're seeing it already with AJ. Like, even though he hasn't been as sharp these last two days as the first two practices, he still has good moments. And like there was a really good ball that he threw in team drills where there was, there was legit pressure and he had to kind of fade as he threw and he was able to get the ball downfield. I think that was the one to, to Dre where Dre made a nice catch, came back with the ball for him. But like that was a big boy throw and there were times many times last year where he wouldn't give you even that glimpse in practices, like multiple practices on end. And so for, even if he's having a, a rough day for him to still deliver some that shows why he's playing at this level. Like, I, I think that's an encouraging sign of, of growth for him. Yeah. I think it's natural maturity that comes with age and experience. And I think having somebody behind him is going to help uh, strengthen that process I don't want uh, people coming away from this thinking we don't like Duffy. I don't think that's the case for any of the three of us. I just think the thing with AJ Duffy is he's his mentality is a bit different than some of the other guys we deal with in that room, specifically Jordan Travis kind of lives with a permanent chip on his shoulder and is ultra motivated. And now Brock Glenn who came in and is very much a workman like ethic kind of out the gate, which is something we heard about him as a recruit. I think Duffy's just a bit more of a laid back dude. And I think it's good for him that he has somebody to help, push him along and then there's natural the dude got a lot of reps last year it he has experience he knows the communication with tony tokars and mike norvell and how that works he understands the offense a little better i think all those things are coming in play along with a guy behind him to help motivate him just naturally in a competitive atmosphere what about the guy in front of those two guys quarterback hey yeah what do we think uh, i didn't think yesterday i'm sorry tuesday was a spectacular day for tate 
but Tate can make the throws. I mean, it's just, it's the same tale with Tate. Like, yeah, the ability is there to make big time throws. I'll always go back to I think Louisville was huge for him because he went out in a game and actually did it and found a great deal of success. And I think that's something you can always fall back on, whether it's good or bad in practice. Like he knows he can go in a game and do it. Do I think Tate's the next guy? No, I, I don't think I'll be convinced of that till he actually is the next guy, but I, I won't rule him out completely either. You, you know what I really want to see from Tate this spring? And, and I don't know that we have yet again, small sample size. I want him to kind of become, that second half version of Louisville and not even just like he made some ridiculous throws and did some, some pretty absurd things in that second half, which again points to the upside. It was more the way he carried himself. He almost had this kind of killer mentality, which I got it. Yep. And that's what I want to see from him. Maybe, you know, Tuesday I thought was an example of like a not great start leading to a not great day for him. And that's the kind of stuff I want to see him take the next step of it and not have that, that quicksand type of, uh, effect for him where he starts yeah. kind of drowning in it a little bit and that's what i want to see from tate and if he can do that shrug off something bad and come back and deliver a big boy throw the next time uh at bat, like then that, that that would be a positive sign for where he's where he's going um so yeah. that that's be able to flush it and practices yeah yeah be able to flush it move on to the next and know you're capable of doing what you're out here to try to do for sure chris you mentioned both kentron portier and and Jarevis Jacobs stood out um, among the receiver group. What what plays did they make on Tuesday that that made us that think or think of them as standouts? Tron's just been consistently good this spring, but uh, he had one where he fully extended, brought it in, kind of created small space separation with a little bit of an arm throw back on the defender, and got his hand all the way extended using every inch of his length to get to the ball and bring it in. I thought it was very good. Vandravius Jacobs just can play ball like. Uh, this dude jumped on a table for him the last year talking about his ranking needed to be better. He's going to go out there and prove it. He was an ultra productive, high level high school receiver and a pass heavy offense for a high school coach who knows how to sling it all around the field. He's going to be prepped for college to go and do it. The only question with Andreas Jacobs is the things that he has to do without the ball in his hands or the ball coming his direction. He's going to be capable of doing that and handling those responsibilities. I will go ahead and bet on yes. Um, he's he, a really good football player. I love Chris that he, it's tough to describe, and I think that's maybe what makes it special. Like he just has a way of like finding the ball, tracking it in the air, and just knowing when I have to jump, uh, how I have to move to get to the ball. And it doesn't matter if it's like a 50-50 ball or if he's just coming back to it, if he's just creating space like as it's thrown. He just he finds a way to get the football. And he loves his- to compete. Ooh. Yeah. And so I, I thought it was interesting. I almost followed up with a question to Mike Norvell on Tuesday when he was talking about Vendravius Jacobs and how through the process they they had him in a lot for camps and stuff. And obviously he did seven on seven and was very good in that. He also did the elite camp and got after it. Like him and Quindarius Jones, for example, were going after each other, if I recall correctly, at one of the camp events. I, I think there's something, too, when you watch a receiver, like just – there's guys who can catch, there's guys who can run, there's guys who have good hand-eye coordination. But when you put it all together and you're super competitive, like you're going to be really good. And I think that's what Vandravius Jacobs is. He's a guy that wants to get to the ball every time it's put in the air near him, regardless of the circumstances. Good ball, bad ball, vertical route or working to the middle, it doesn't matter to the kid. He just wants to win the football. And I think that shows – in the way he practices every day. And if you practice like that, you're going to play like that too. 
I did a story on Dre at, uh, when he was a recruit, just talking to his high school coach. And I mean, he's just like, he was described as just basically the hardest worker on that, that team. Um, and that's a talented bureau team. And, and, you know, they're, they're competing for, for, you know, big things in the high school level every year. So no, he's just, and, and one of the things that you said, Chris, is like doing stuff away from the football. That was one of the things that the coach highlighted that Dre did so well. Like he set things up for his teammates. He went and made key, crucial blocks downfield. Um, he probably needs to put on a, a bit more weight at this level um, to be a to a guy that you know can can endure hits and stuff like that. But man, he's just impressive. He understands spacing super well. Knows where to be to catch the football. And like Brendan said, like when the ball's you know coming to him, like he knows what to do. So yeah, I I, I mean we were obviously huge fans of Dre out of high school. He shows up to every event um, as a recruit and just dominates. So I'm just, I'm excited to see kind of his ascension um, over the next like year or so. And just, you know, whether he can maybe crack that too deep. I, I remember two summers ago uh, showing up. And so the way it works, FSU has a seven on seven camp and a big man camp the same day in the summertime, a couple times during the summer. And I think it was Chris and Zach who were at the seven on seven event, which yeah. uh, outdoors, uh, multiple fields, usually really hot and, and uncomfortable. And Josh and I were shockingly being the divas in the IPF back at FSU with the big man camp, uh, where it's nice and shaded. Probably but, still complaining. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that turf's not easy to walk on. It, it kills your knees. Uh, but so we, we made our way over to the seven on seven after uh, later in the afternoon. And so it had been going for most of the day. And Chris and Zach were just gushing over. Dre Jacobs all day Dre and I think that was the first time you guys had probably gotten to see him in person or at least in that that amount of of, of uh, reps in person to where you got to see him just dominate and you two were were legitimately gushing over him I think he got an offer from FSU that day and um, you both have been really huge advocates for him since because of what you saw him make play after play after play. And I think he was playing to like, he, he was cramping to the point where he just couldn't go anymore that day. It was so hot out and he was, he was being used so much, but uh, we're all fans of, of all day Dre. I'll give you guys the, uh, I'll let you two battle out for the, the head of his fan club. You can maybe be co-presidents if you will. I'll give it to Chris, honestly, because Chris was oh. the, the guy. I was going to give it to you, Zach. You wrote about him a little bit more than me. So all right. You, all right, guys. Ones, no, you, I'll take it. That's fine. On the table for his ranking. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, but, uh, but <laughs> Yeah, we talked about like running backs. Like there, you can't take away a ton from from this kind of stuff just because there's not, um, you know, a ton of just uh, other than you know the team drills. But I guess just what what do we think of that group? Um, you know, obviously we know that the lead the lead guy in Trey Benson, but behind him, who's standing out? Depth is going to be all right, I think. You're going to miss Trayshawn Ward, uh, but I think Rodney Hill is going to offer a lot of what Trayshawn Ward can do from a skill set perspective. And, and we've talked about it, but he just keeps flashing, and that's Kaziah Holmes. Uh, you know what stands out to me is I'll from far away get Kaziah and Rodney Hill a little bit confused. And that's interesting because Kaziah Holmes is about 10 to 20 pounds bigger than him, but more talking about the footwork and the way he moves. Uh, there's a, a higher end of athleticism there than I thought. And I, honestly, that we saw in fall like he's in much better shape now than he was when he first got here which is good that means he's working hard he's taking this very seriously he's going to have a chance to be a part of that that rotation so uh any concerns about the depth with Treshawn ward leaving to me have been alleviated not to say that you won't miss Treshawn. Uh, he had a knack for 
making big plays and in, in big time moments uh, and that you might miss, but uh, just throughout the course of a season, having a baseline of, of uh, depth and a variety of skill sets, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape based on what we've been able to see so far this spring. Trey Benson's a guy that's taking a next step, uh, which I know is a big thing to say for a guy who had a thousand yards last year and really was only like a half a season major starter for them, but he is in phenomenal shape. He looks, uh, like he's completely comfortable within the system, what he's asked to do just looks like a guy who's even further removed from a pretty bad injury. And he played really good ball a season ago. My most intriguing thing about the running back room is just how are they going to distribute the ball? How much, how much is it going to be? Is it going to be Benson one a one B and then other guys, or is it going to be kind of two guys at the top as they did at times last year? I'm just very interested by that. There's plenty of talent, plenty of versatility in that room. We didn't even meet, mentioned Lawrence Tofilly. We know what he is explosive, capable of being a very good receiver out of the backfield, a guy that they're willing to use. LT spoke about how he hopes to be a better in-between the tackles runner uh, by putting on a little bit of weight. I think he said he put on about 10 more pounds. He feels pretty good right now. You know, and Rodney Hill's a guy that we've all been very bullish on, believing he can be really, really good. But again, I just don't know how they're going to distribute the ball in that room. It's going to be an interesting tail of the tape through two, three games of the regular season. Can we start calling Lawrence to a Philly, Mr. Wheel route? Hey, he catches it. He turns it into things. You got him and Ja'Kai that can come out at backfield and do things for you. It's fun to watch. God, that's such a lame nickname. Is there something about hosting this show that makes people lame? Is this? I'm just trying to do my best running impression. Um, Moving on. Let's get to the trenches. We talked about this a little bit already, but Casey Roddick was a standout. Any other offensive linemen stand out to you guys on Tuesday? I thought Darius Washington has shown well consistently through four days, which is really good because he's going to be competing for reps this year. So I thought Darius has looked good. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I thought the I thought the defensive line kind of asserted itself some on uh on tuesday so it's difficult for me to really go into just a one-day sample size of the offensive line i think jeremiah byers we've talked about chris unfortunately talked about him probably too much last time uh he's 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 going i'm, to I'm gonna stick good. to the restraining order and uh not do anything this time from practice next time yeah keandre jones is like a, a, we're so if we're going to talk about like what we're looking for coming out of the scrimmage and then for that final you know two two and a half three week stretch of spring keandre jones is someone i'm going to be really interested to watch because you see the moments of like oh that's why you took him he is big he is strong he's not going to get moved back but i do think some of the foot speed is still lacking for me at times at least like what i would 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 want to see uh from from someone on an offensive line that you're hoping is going to compete for something pretty substantial this year and he is not a finished product like he's only early he's early on in his off season here at Florida State he still has the entire summer I'd like to see him lose maybe 10 pounds or just get quicker in the feet whichever one but of, of losing a little bit of weight helps out with that I think FSU is more bullish on what he can be than I am right now uh but I'm also sometimes lack vision of projection of what something can be a more of a, what it is now type of thing. Uh, but he's probably the, the guy that I'm most interested to watch uh, along with Jer- Jeremiah Byers because of, of how good he can be. But those are the two whose development this off season is going to be really interesting to me. My main two things is one, uh, what a D line did have the better day of the two. I like how the physicality was met well by the O line. The O line was willing to be physical. They were trying to finish blocks. They got after it. It wasn't one of those days where they kind of got punched in the mouth and wilted. They didn't do that. 
D-line had the better day of the two, but I thought the O-line also brought physicality to the the circumstances to the punch. And Marie Smith, I love it. We keep bringing in transfer center possibilities, and I just I wholeheartedly expect Marie Smith to still be the center for FSU. And he's been good. Depth heart, baby. Um, no, we uh, we kind of skipped over tight end. I'll handle it. Kyle Morlock looked good. We already mentioned this earlier, but um, thought he moved exceptionally well. Um, probably the best I've seen him move through four practices. Had his most productive day as far as just catches and um, thought he looked more comfortable. And that's a, a big step because I know that's something Brendan reported that you know, he was feeling a bit I don't know if, the, if the uncomfortable is the right word for it, but um, in his first few months in Tallahassee, obviously making overwhelmed. The yeah, overwhelmed. Making the transition from D two um, to uh, the the D one level, and then all the way up to Power Five. That's a quite a transition. Um, and you know, he's obviously around a bunch of new teammates, so just good to see him uh, having a successful day. I think that's going to be big for his confidence uh, as we go into the rest of spring. Uh, moving more onto the defensive side of the football. Um, I guess just linebackers. Do we do we think any of those guys stood out on on well, Tuesday or th- throughout the first four? Can I can I talk about the defensive? I know we talked about the defensive line a little bit through Derek McClendon already, but but one thing, uh, yeah, we, we can't really we don't report on attendance. It's not an attendance roll call thing at practice, but I, but I can and have reported that Derek McClendon has not been with the team since since Sunday. So I think that that's that's fair game to talk about. Uh, and if not, we can edit this out, fellas. But Byron Turner, to me, when you're given an opportunity and you and you're able to seize it the way that Byron Turner did on Tuesday, I think that's a very encouraging sign of of what can be the next steps. Um, and, and there's a long way to go in his in his development still, but he is someone who my eyes kept finding when watching the trenches operate because of how how explosive he is off off the snap and how much energy he played with. And he was finding a way to either make plays or get close to making plays and putting himself in position to have an impact on Tuesday's practice. Maybe that is just a one-off. Maybe that's a sign of, of things to come. But I don't want to go through this podcast without dismissing of like how impressive he was in stepping up into something substantial on, on Tuesday. I thought that was I thought was really encouraging. I agree. I we mean, cool, we cool with that the way that was phrased. Uh, yeah. Other than the first half, if you get in trouble for that, you did that completely by yourself. I just wanted that to be put out there. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I reported that he has a bit. I I I don't know. I don't know. I'm just messing with you, buddy. Okay. We're in this together. I'll do a projected depth chart just to get the heat off you. Depth chart. Um, one other thing I'll add on the D line. We talked a lot about it. They just have a whole lot of different pieces, a whole lot of different types of players, and Braden Fisk. You know, it's still coming off the shoulder wearing green, so he's obviously not doing stuff as Mike Norvell has addressed a couple times. You haven't even thrown him in the mix. It's just a they they clearly had a plan going in the offseason wanting to be deeper and more versatile up front, you know, having more tricks in the toolbox basically. And it looks like they succeeded in that once again. Um, so on to linebacker, I know you were ready to chomp on that bit, so have at it, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I. I think it's a pretty consistent group. Um, I didn't. I think there was one play that Brendan Gant got in the backfield, um, came and triggered downfield. So I thought that was pretty impressive. But I didn't think I didn't notice any other like uh, crazy plays. Did you, Brendan? DJ Lundy had a 
a couple of really physical stops on inside run drills, like in, in a short window. Uh, and he just continues to look very quick and, and that's good. Tatum Bethune was active making plays in the backfield or, or stuffs uh, in team drills. So he looks like you're kind of seeing, you know, last year he was playing through, through a lot of pain and discomfort, I believe with the shoulder deal. Um, you're seeing kind of what he is and remember what he was against LSU. Like when, when he's, he's feeling all right, like that that's there. And then came to Loach just looks like he's moving with like a little bit more assuredness, a little more confidence and what we've seen. I think he's added a little bit of weight. So uh, yeah, I, I think there's a nice nucleus there at linebacker. Um, you know, we've talked about before that's a position that you can add someone else to really feel better about just the, the four-man rotation there. Potentially, I do like your top three players. I think more than the general public does. I'm more confident in what you have with with Deloach, Bethune, and Lundy, and you just got to find a, find the, the rotational pieces there. But I'm fine with linebacker. They look good. I feel like Omar Graham's a guy they're trying to push along. They, they want this to be a crucial spring for him, an important spring for him to take a next step. Uh, haven't quite seen it. But, like, it's noticeable that there's an effort being made to work him with some of the upper teams at times, push him a little bit harder, things of that sort. And I, I think they actually spoke of that intention, or we reported something of that intention going into the spring season. That's accurate. Is that accurate, Brendan? Um, move on to defensive backs. Chris already mentioned K.J. Kirkland stood out once again, which has been a common theme throughout Florida State's first four spring practices. I thought two other newcomers stood out. Um, Fentrell Cypress is a newcomer, technically, because he's a transfer. Um, he had a pick and just looked more comfortable in coverage, in my opinion. And then um, Quindarius Jones. I think he's the biggest surprise of spring camp so far, in my opinion. What do you think, Brendan? I, I agree with you totally, Zach. I find myself... When we go and we start looking for new players, which is a, an exercise that we do at the start of, of camp, because that's what I think our audience is interested in. We want to see how guys are going to fit in uh, with Quindarius. Like I, I found myself not intentionally, but just naturally kind of dismissing him and not really thinking that was someone that, that I was going to have to pay a lot of attention to. And he keeps forcing me to pay attention to him based on how he's played. And I, I think that might be the best compliment I can give him right now is he came in as an unheralded recruit. And he looks like he belongs at this level and to the point where like we see in one-on-ones, how many guys can consistently give Johnny Wilson a hard time? Maybe right. Renardo green is right. the only Renardo's the only guy that we've consistently seen that can actually cover Johnny Wilson. Compete with, Johnny Wilson. <laughs> Compete with Johnny Wilson. And by the way, side note, Renardo green, uh, when, when Dane and, and Kevin, and I went down to the coaching clinic, uh, Kirby smart talked about one of his defensive backs as a guy who likes to quote unquote, stick his, his face in the fan. And that's Renardo Green. Feisty uh, little dude. I love yeah, that. Yeah, Dane, Dane brought that up. And yes, um, you can win with Renardo Green. But to that point, like Quindarius Jones is competing with Johnny Wilson to the same extent, I think, that Renardo Green is. And yeah, he was able to, to fight through a back shoulder deal to Johnny Wilson the other day. That was really impressive. He had an interception. Uh, and this has been multiple days of, of, of Quindarius doing well, too, right? Like this isn't a, a one-day offset. So there's a long way to go before the, the 2023 regular season, uh, but he belonged to this level and he's doing things right now early on in, in spring camp that make you say, Oh, he's going to have a chance to special teams back end rotation guy. He has a, he has potential to have a place and a role on the 2023 depth chart. I think like he he's, he's doing things right now that are impressive. 
Yeah, Quindarius's pick came in team. If you look at the mission takeaway uh, stuff they do this year, they actually mention when the fumble interceptions, et cetera, came. And in his case, it was during team. The one thing I'll add on Quindarius, we talked about with Vendravius Jacobs, where they brought him in, had him at events, competed, watched how he compete. Q came to that elite event early June last year and got after it in the IPF. And it was fun as hell to watch. I absolutely loved him. Thought he, I think he got offered there, if I recall. It might have been the next day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people clamored because his offer list wasn't long and things like that. But they kind of sampled the goods. They knew what they had because they worked him out in person. They saw him compete in person. They saw him actual real football do stuff. And I remember Marcus Woodson talking about him. And, you know, he's a kid that played receiver. He played DB, ultra-athletic, very competitive for his high school pretty good program there in Mississippi that he played for in the sense of a team that competes real hard, plays real hard consistently. And he was a guy that was sort of at the top of the heap on that football team. And he's come in here and done the same. I think they're pretty good at diagnosing the DNA of guys. And when you have good measurements and good athleticism, which when Darius Jones definitely does have both of those things, but the DNA also matches up with it. You're going to be able to go out there and do things, even though you're a freshman who's four days in the camp in your college career. Uh, real quick ad already talked about KJ Kirkland. I think the world of the kid, I think he's going to be very good. Um, you know, I think him and Hussey are going to be two very good defensive back additions that come in this class as well as potentially Edwin Joseph, but, uh, do Cypress control Cypress, his pick came in third down. Uh, he, he just Cypress can play like he's everything they expect him to be. He will be cornerback one. And it allows the dynamics of that secondary to figure itself out much easier. You don't you don't have any concerns about who's the first guy on the depth chart at that position. It is him, and he's come and done that. One one thing that then we could get back on topic. Chris mentioned the offer to, to Q Jones during or after camp. Uh, keep in mind, FSU's coaches are always any coaching staff in general is going to have far more knowledge than a general fan base, and probably going to have more knowledge than even us as as reporters because they're they're talking to family and stuff a lot, a lot more and getting a lot, like a lot more information uh, just to kind of sift through. But then when an offer comes after a camp, you are getting GPS numbers, you are getting strict, like legitimate measurements of everything that you project and what you value, whether it's like arm length, wingspan, hand side, whatever you're looking at for that specific position group, you're getting all of that. So just, just something to remember as camp season is a couple months away, like when an offer comes out, of camp, the amount of information that FSU is getting in that 24 hour, 48 hour window is, is pretty substantial. And so they're making a, an informed decision uh, with a lot more information than, than even we have. Uh, they're also, it, it's hands-on for them too. They're coaching the kid. They're dealing with the kid. They're pushing the yep. kid. They're pressing the kid. They're seeing how the kid responds to the way they interact. There's a whole lot of takeaways from that. Because there can be dudes who are ultra-talented in the world, but they don't want to listen to a coach in the moment or when they screw up. They don't want to hear they screw up, and they kind of turn it out. I think this staff is very good at – I mean, I know Alex Atkins is. Alex Atkins does that wholeheartedly with offensive linemen in the summer. He's going to press the buttons. He's going to see how the response is, and that's going to mean a hell of a lot to him when he's evaluating, do I want this guy or that guy? We, we've seen them not go on kids because of something maybe not as – the only factor, but a deciding factor is something as small as like body language or eye contact, lack of eye contact. Like there's a level of professionalism and thoroughness that goes on in this program that I don't know if it, I'm sure it happens at other major programs, but it is pretty cool to see it firsthand occur. You understand why they hit so often 
uh, even even if they haven't been able to kind of hand select guys like they're maybe going to be able to start doing now in, in this 2023 cycle or 2024 cycle. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. Um, I think I'm going to make this comparison. I'm not trying to put anyone down, but Quindarius Jones just looks like he knows what to do. Like there, there's a there's a level of coaching that has to go into you know any defensive back, right? Um, but like a guy like we saw last year, Sam McCall. Um, there were times Sam McCall in coverage, it would just look like he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. Um, and and I think that's probably an innate and natural thing that comes um, from a from a, any you know football player at any position, and especially defensive back, just knowing where to be. And I never feel like Quindarius Jones is out of position. Obviously, we'll see more of that as he works within an entire defense of you know, defensive scheme, um, and you know learns more of what they're trying to do defensively. But but you know the stuff from you know his one on one stuff and just the team uh, drill things that we're able to observe in practice, just really impressive. Um, and I think that that comparison that I, that I have in my head versus you know with him versus Sam McCall last year during spring ball, they both came in early. Um, I think that's just kind of a an interesting um, comparison to look at just the level of knowing where to be in coverage. Um, I think Quindarius Jones is pretty excellent at that for, for a newcomer. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up our, our practice observations for real quick Tuesday. point. We're a quick point. I want to throw it at you, Zach, and it's not something that was on the agenda, but in 55 minutes of doing this, you know what I've realized FSU brought in 18 guys that we currently are watching that are new faces. I would say, 15 of them have made a good impression. Jaden Jones is limited coming off of a knee injury that he had at Juco. You know, DeMarco Ward's a bit of a to-be-determined for us. Doesn't look like he doesn't fit, but also hasn't had moments like Rodarius Jones or K.J. Kirkland. But nine transfers, all of them stand out, right? I think that's a fair statement. Nine freshmen out of high school. And, you know, we've talked a lot about what Quindarius Jones, K.J. Kirkland, Brock Glenn, Dre Jacobs. Uh, Lucas Simmons put someone on his butt the other day. Yeah, that's a fifth. Hakeem Williams will get there. We're not worried about it. We know how talented he is at the end of the day. Lamont Green Jr., Boots Green, we know how hard he works, what he is. He's a down-the-road defensive end for them. So that that's a majority of that group. So the, yeah. the hit rate feels pretty good. We're still waiting for another nine to show up. You know, I, I think I can speak for myself that I feel like the top of that group, which is what Hussey, Nicholson, Sampson – uh, Edwin Joseph. Edwin, I can't wait to see Edwin out. Joseph. He's going to be and fun. Andre Otto is a bit of the, uh, uh, I guess, experiment is a Dude, word we can they, use there. But like, if are, it turns out good, it's going to be really good. They are super excited about what what he can be. They they, they think they found one there. Yeah, yeah. we so we are opti- we are optimistic. We are drinking the Kool Aid. Pretty good hit rate. It feels like already with that group for that class. You're muted, Zach. Thanks for I heard I heard Zach's feelings because he was going for that yeah. close. And I'm like, I just want to make this one last point. But it was funny. As we're talking about Quindarius Jones, I'm like, God, we've talked about a lot of the guys that are fresh faces. And I know that's sort of the way we focus in these early days of camp. But at the same time, a lot of them are making plays and making an impact. Man, I really thought we were going to have a quick show today. Um, but thanks to Chris's derailment of my uh, hosting, um, we're going to go for a pretty long while, which uh, you know, maybe the fans want. Um Let's get into some recruiting, Chris. I know you want to derail my hosting, so let's um, let you take this section over. Um, who's been on campus this week? What is the, this weekend looking like? And just kind of what's the overall outlook for the rest of spring recruiting for Florida State? 
Well, as things reopened back up with spring break coming to an end, a group from uh, a football hotbed group, which is based out of South Florida, but had guys from a little bit of everywhere. They rolled into town on Saturday. Uh, I think the highlight of that group was probably a new offer being extended. It was extended to a young defensive lineman, 2026 player, James Carrington, named Tank from St. Francis Academy up there in Baltimore. Another kid who came in that day separate of that group was Nashawn Montgomery, 2025 receiver, came up here with his dad. He's a pretty important one to know. And the last name I would mention from Saturday would be Ezekiel Marcelin, EJ Marcelin, 2025 linebacker from Miami Central. He's a kid that FSU's been involved with. Randy Shannon and him have built a good bond. He was probably the most important guy for them to get up in that football hotbed group. Uh, fast forward to Tuesday, back on the practice fields, Fat Burnett, Jamarian Burnett. He's at Andalusia, Alabama running back. He came in. He's probably going to commit Auburn soon, so we won't waste too much time there. Camden Fryer, FSU commitment, came back with his dad and his mom and their dog. The family dog was with him, too. And they took in practice, enjoyed themselves. Camden's a familiar face around these parts. Armando Blunt, a talented defensive lineman, who I'll let you talk about a little bit after this, Zach. He was also in. He's a big-time target for FSU in the 25 class, one of the better players in that class in the state of Florida that we know about already. There were some others, uh, mostly in the 25 group. Joshua Moore from West Broward, talented receiver, already has an offer. Waltez Clark, talented athlete from Tampa Plant. He came in with his coach. Kelvin Crawford, who's from Quincy uh, Monroe Academy over there, he was back in. Keyshawn Mashburn, his teammate, was also in. And then Darius Simmons, a 2026 kid that I saw at the South Georgia MVP, he came in as well. And then yesterday, which would have been Wednesday, no practice day, Jamari Howard, Michigan State commitment comes in, decked head to toe and FSU gear. Randy Shannon's kind of the main man running that recruitment. Uh, Jamari's a kid that his film's certainly intriguing, high level a guy that would definitely be a help in the secondary for FSU. FSU is in a pretty good spot in the sense of having built a strong bond. They had him on campus back during the Florida game, got him back this past week, obviously. So they keep getting him back on campus, which we know is crucial. As we fast forward today, another solid group coming in. Linebacker Brian Huff is a kid coming in. Everybody's always interested in linebackers. The headliner today is K.J. Bolden, five-star defensive back from the Peach State. Shiloh Cummings from uh, Stark Bradford area. Four-star athlete, FSU likes him as a DB. He's also expected in. Jamori Flagg, defensive line commitment from Miami's due in. I believe he's coming in Friday, but I think he's staying for Saturday's scrimmage. And then Saturday's going to be another one of those busy days. I think our list currently sits about a dozen prospects. I'm sure it's going to continue to swell. A couple names to know in there. Uh, you know, Jabari Brady, 2026 receiver. 2026 tight end, JT Jabbar Bowden, who's from over in Panama City area. Uh, Hubert Calise is a 24 tight end that they like a lot. FSU is very early on him. They're getting him back on campus. Marcus Easley, who's from Illinois, four-star offensive tackle. He's doing 2026 edge Tyler Atkinson, who I reported about on Wednesday evening. He's doing, he's one of the best in 26. He's a kid that's on the national map very early in his high school career. And then Robert Boudon, Boudon I'm not 100% how to, sure how to say his last name. He's a Tennessee offensive lineman, doesn't yet have an offer. If I had to pick a kid on that list who doesn't have an offer who I think might get one, he would be my pick. Yeah, I'll touch on a few of the names that you mentioned. Um, Armando Blunt was a guy that – a five-star defensive lineman in 2025 that visited on Tuesday for uh, practice. And even before practice, he arrived at FSU around 9 a.m. that day, stayed all day, um, was accompanied by both his mother and his father. Um, I, if you've been on Twitter, you've probably seen his mom's tweet. 
It read, as a mother, I finally heard exactly what I, what I needed to hear. Thank you, FSU. And it was a photo of um, him uh, or her with her son, Mike Norvell, and um, her husband. So pretty cool. Um, think FSU knocked it out of the park with, with Armando Blunt. He's a guy that's ranked the number two defensive lineman in the entire country in 2025, number three overall prospect. So a really high, highly talented um, player uh, in that class. And yeah, he, he spent the most time with FSU linebackers coach Randy Shannon, who recruits Miami for, for FSU. John Papuchis, FSU's defensive ends coach, was also involved. Um, Miami is an, uh, a hometown school and they're getting him on campus this weekend. Armando Blunt's been on UF's campus multiple times, so he'll be a highly contested recruitment, but FSU made a strong impression. Um, he's been here twice before uh, in Tallahassee, but this is his first true uh, recruiting visit um, with the staff. So big deal to get him on campus and we'll like to likely try to get him back um, over the summer. I think, uh, you know, KJ Bolden's a huge visit for Florida State, um, right? He's a top 10 overall prospect I think number 11 in the top 247 now but um, in the composite he he's a he's a five star so big deal um, FSU really wants to make an impression on him he's a guy that um, grew up loving Florida State it was his dream school but things have kind of uh, shifted away um, over the past few years there's just you know some of the struggles on the field you know FSU wasn't really in the mix for his recruitment uh, it's been mostly like a Georgia Ohio State Clemson kind of battle over the last um, year and change and he's kind of opened up his process a little bit taken some more visits to some some newer schools um, that haven't been in the mix a ton over the last year and that's been like Arkansas um, I think he also has a few other trips set up Auburn was another place he visited um, in March and then Florida State will get him on campus today on Thursday um, so this is FSU's chance to make a strong impression on one of the top defensive backs in the country and likely one of their top defensive backs on their board. Um, so uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll try and catch up with KJ after the practice today um, and, and kind of see where where things stand in his recruitment following that. But yeah, I think it's pretty good encompassing of, of Florida State's recruiting efforts right now. Um, they'll continue to host prospects on campus the rest of the spring. Obviously this weekend, like Chris said, will be the scrimmage. So FSU will look to host um, a, a crop of talent then. And then, you know, the next couple weekends and, you know, obviously for practices during the week, uh, Florida State will continue to host visitors. So, um, you know, the final culminating event of, of spring recruiting will be the spring showcase, the spring game on April 15th. We've already confirmed multiple prospects that are um, expected to attend. That's on, that's we have a list going on those super seven or running list that you can check out. Um, but, yeah, it's a it's a pretty comprehensive list for for a game that's you know, a little under a month away. Um, but I think we'll continue to see the talent level um, on that list rise over, as the weeks um, approach. But yeah, I want to move on to Brendan's segment, Fire Sinone. Um, I'll let Brendan take over. I saw Brendan shake, uh, shake his head in excitement. Um, I, I think uh, this will be a good one. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little Byers Sinone as Chris is holding up a koozie that is sponsored by... The Turner Group. Say it with your chest. The Turner Group. The Turner Group. The Turner Group is a realty company in Central Florida. Husband and wife team, Colin Amy Turner, both FSU grads. And uh, and they are people that you want to trust as a skilled team to help you in the buy or sell process in the ever-changing real estate market. Uh, they have skill-based agents, and that's an important 
uh, important tool to have in your tool set because you want to trust who is helping you make this life-changing investment. They have partners that can facilitate the entire process from lenders, inspectors, roofers. If you're in Central Florida, yes, absolutely. Like go get them right now and and have them help you throughout this process. Even in the state of Florida, they can help you through the Keller and Williams umbrella to find the right fit for you. So uh, Colin Turner and, and Amy Turner of the Turner Group, reach out to them at 407-403-8546. Trust them to help you with your buying or selling home process. Let's get into it. Buyer Sunone. I'm going to start off with my own. I want to sprinkle it in here. Vandravis Jacobs will have more receiving yards through his first two seasons at FSU than Hakeem Williams. You're putting us on the spot. Um, uh, the opportunity, I? I, I'm going to Sunone it. I think the numbers will probably be pretty similar, but I think he has a better opportunity and Dre Jacobs has a better opportunity in year one because the slot position with Micah Pittman's potential absence is a little bit more there for the taking for the opportunity than I think the outside receiver opportunities that might come for Hakeem. I'm buying it. Um, I think Hakeem is, has always been a, a long-term development guy, not a guy that's going to take like three to four years, but more, you know, one to two. Um, and I think, Dre's going to have an, uh, a chance to compete early, like Chris said, maybe for that slot position. And just in general, I think he's a more uh, ready receiver right now, um, just more natural to him as Hakeem makes that that transition to this level. This is from good old J-Rod Byersonone, sponsored by the Turner Group. A fully healthy 2023 team would lose to a fully healthy 2013 by seven points or less. I'll buy that. 2013 was a juggernaut. But you're saying they would lose by seven or less. You'd say they finished within seven points of the No, no, I think 2013 would beat them by more than seven. 2013 so was a giant. So you're it. I'm not going with recency bias here. I'm sticking with the nostalgia of a legendary football team. But you're synoning the answer. You're not okay, sure. It. Answer that part for me. <laughs> Chris I'll, I'll, I'll outsource that. I'm just saying. 13 wins by eight or more points. There you go. Whatever that is. Buying or synoning. I'll, uh, I'll say they'll get beat by more than seven points so is that a sanon yes okay you is better ask old, my question I, um that's coming up buyer sanon fsu hit on gilbert Edmond. bye very high ceiling comes from zach blostein buyer sanon my fit on tuesday <laughs> <laughs> who so am i to comment on an unmanned what was it? Yeah, I'm not trying to say I, I, that any of us are dripped out, but Brennan just had the, the whole fit going on um, on Tuesday's practice. Do you guys want to know the method behind that, other than not putting a whole lot of thought into it, clearly? Go for it. Explain. So I, I, the green and the purple is kind of a, been a standard for me. I, I like that color combination, so I'll rock those two together. And I don't really consider a whole lot from from the legs down. A shoe's not a, not a big concern for me uh but these these shoes that i wear these old man shoes that someone on twitter gently and kindly pointed out uh are because i have a pretty prominent limp and a chronic leg issue and i need a shoe with a little bit more support and i wore the high gray socks because they're the only high socks i had and i had an ankle brace that i was wearing on tuesday because my leg was bothering me to that extent and i 
Well, I'm trying to make you feel bad and also explain that I don't generally like talking about the leg and that I'm self-conscious about the limp. And so I was trying to hide it with the leg brace and not have people look at the ankle brace. So I was trying to hide it with the gray in combination of the blue shoes that, again, helped me uh, take a little bit of pain off because uh, they distributed a little bit. So I, I looked poorly, partially, uh, because I can't really walk well. And so maybe maybe everyone owes me an apology. Zach? We're sorry, Brendan. We start, we're sorry we hurt your feelings. I just I think it's... Chris I didn't did participate in the debauchery. I'm just... I'm just Chris just ignored it totally I as did. he should have. You know, you, know, you know what really annoyed me was the timing of it, though, because we're about to start practice. And I like to focus during practice. And it's an important thing for me to, like, get my head right for. And so all of a sudden, Twitter starts blowing up. I lose Dane for 10 minutes because he's looking and laughing at all the Twitter stuff as practice is starting. It's like catnip. And, I mean, it's easy to lose. Though, he to he is. <laughs> he wanders you in the woods often. Yeah, but you can't you can't <laughs> blindfold him, spin him around, and then expect him to go out of the woods. Like that's what Zach basically did. And this is all while Zach's not there because he has class up till four thirty. So Zach threw a grenade from far away to derail us for the first twenty minutes that he wasn't there. So it was just not a I good start. It, I think it fired you up for practice. I mean, yeah, my, my practice report was great because of it. You're right. <laughs> Janelle and Noel, buyers and own. Roddick practicing this spring at center is nothing more than to push Marie Smith and make sure we have a valid backup. He will start at guard. I would buy that. I think he'll start at guard. And I think it is also to make sure they have a very capable backup. I mentioned earlier in the pod that Marie Smith seems to be the dude that just can't be killed off the show. Like, He's keeping that job. Caden Lau was a year ago, and yes, he got hurt, but you know I think Maurice was going to keep that job anyways. Who's your Chris? Let me ask you this: Who's your optimal five? If you're saying we have these five, they're healthy, and I understand that there's probably going to be some mixing and matching throughout the season, but like if you could pick your five, if we were doing the team draft, and you got to pick your only all offensive line, which is pretty much what you did last year at the Sands Center, anyways, what would it look like? Uh, Jeremiah Byers obviously is one um, as a tackle. Yes, and then. Uh, Maurice at center, Casey at one to guard spots. The other guard, I feel like, is a little bit up for grabs. And then a healthy Robert Scott at the other tackle spot would probably be the way I would lean. Yeah, uh, Darius Washington at left guard, maybe. Uh, or or Keandre Jones. Yeah, Keandre's kind of a wild Manuel. card there. Yeah. yeah. If waiver, I think he's probably a guy that can compete for that spot again. But, that left guard, they love pulling it. Yeah, pulling We're not even the left Bless Harris. Like, you know, we're omitting we Bless Harris entirely. It's kind of funny. I think he's still kind of working himself back into game shape after missing last season. Um, so we'll, we'll see what he does with a full spring and off season. They're but they're going to be, be legitimately uh, too deep on the O line, just to paint that picture clearly for people. They're cool. going to truly have ten interchangeable pieces and guys that are playing their actual position. They should probably be playing this year on the offensive line. We're not even we're not even talking about like Julian Armella or Jalen Early right. in these conversations, and and they still have room, a lot of room to grow and to potentially like enter that conversation, maybe in camp, yeah. maybe sometime in in this season. But like, yeah, I mean, they they might. This is an optimistic approach of it, but they might be even more than too deep. Knowles by ninety, <laughs> I like it. Byers to know Jordan Travis goes higher than Jalen Hurts did, fifty third overall, if he gets invited to New York as a Heisman candidate. So basically he gets drafted as a, as, are we buying or Sinone and Jordan Travis as a, as a round two 
draft pick if he has the season that puts him in New York? I'm Sononi because I don't know yet how to feel about Jordan Travis NFL draft prospect, to just be perfectly honest. I know that's much more your your commodity, Brendan, that you very much enjoy. So maybe you've got a better read on the room at this point, but I, I don't know. I, I have, so I subscribe, and there's only so many things that I put my money to subscription base. Uh, most of my money goes to the whiskey collection behind me. Shout out, shout out to whiskey. Um, but one of the things I do subscribe to is a, a sub stack type of type of deal uh, with, with it's called the NFL draft Bible. And it's to me, it's like the sneaky good uh, analysis of, of draft prospects better than a lot of the other more mainstream ones. I find this one to be really accurate with what they end up projecting and they'll start looking at uh, you know, the class ahead at the end of it. And I actually just got this email before the show. So it's probably worth sharing. They list the, top prospects of 2024 at quarterback. Uh, Caleb Williams is number one. Drake May from UNC is number two. Although, can he enter in 2024? I don't think he can. Michael Pratt from Tulane. Number four is Jordan Travis. So he has Jordan Travis in the top five as pro prospects uh, currently uh, in college football right now. And, and here's what he says. An underrated quarterback who has been uh, who has more than just emerged, Travis has the ability to do a lot at the next level when it is time to make the jump. He gets the ball out fast with good placement at all levels of the field. I agree with that. Uh, with polished mechanics that look only to get better. Field vision and arm strength are both positives he possesses, and he seems like the perfect passer for any offense that heavily utilizes RPOs. His frame is a bit of a concern. I would agree with that too. But smaller quarterbacks have succeeded, and he's made a good case to be an exception for bigger quarterbacks. So uh, there are people that study this full-time that are, are of the belief that he has an NFL-level tool set. So I'll buy it. I'll buy him. I'll, I'll buy him being a day two pick. How about that? Uh, if if he makes it to New York and keeps evolving. Yeah, I think if he's a Heisman like candidate, like going to New York as a, as a dude that's had that kind of season, um, I think it's just the workload and just the amount of um, success he'd had to have in in 2023 would would set him up well for at the very least the second round draft pick. We are eliminating like the concerns of durability if he makes it to New York. That means he would have had two really healthy seasons in a row. Yeah, yeah. Like so that that is a a negative uh, against him right now. That uh, if we're projecting him, that's part of this uh, conversation. Uh, he is he would be eliminating that. All right, this is for me, but other people vast in different ways. I'll just boil it down to this: Byersonome, Destin Hill makes it to campus. Zach, I will start with you because I don't think Chris would want to answer it. Um. It's just so tough. I mean, like, I guess by because that's the expectation expectation right now. Like, that is the actual internal expectation for Florida State is that he does make it to campus. But it's just like this situation has been so crazy and um, over the years, it just makes me think that you know, I, I'll believe it when I see it. That's kind of been my mindset. But man, like, that is the expectation. That is the word. Um, obviously, there was the report that went out by on three. But we have confirmed that independently that Florida State believes that that you know that he'll make it in in May. So I guess I'll buy. I'll go with or. Um, nah, I'm just kidding. But I'm not my favorite topic. If you haven't caught on to that, I will just <laughs> say this. I asked directly pertaining to this at ACC kickoff last year, and his name was not dismissed entirely, in the sense of like it was left open ended that yes, it could still happen down the road. That's the last time I truly had a direct conversation 
specifically about his name with somebody who would be in the decision. What were you going to say, Brendan? His name is never, I'm just trying to think. And sometimes like it's tough to remember everything because it's been a two year process, but his name's never been fully dismissed internally. Correct. We have dismissed it just as like people who study trends and be like, Oh, if you don't, if you don't make it after a year, your chance of making it at all is, is almost non-existent. And for it to possibly be two years uh, might be one of the more, miraculous if he were to get here one of the more miraculous developments uh, we've ever covered with recruiting um what i can say is you know it does seem more optimistic now than it was six months ago with something being more neutral or just dismissive of like we'll see what we see now there's an actual timeline to it and and i can confirm that he has begun the the process of trying to uh what's the word i'm looking for enroll's not correct um be admitted the admittance process the application process is what i was looking for the next step is to be admitted i will the only other thing i'll add is i don't know the certainty of his situation i don't know the details I'm not going to sit here and act like i do but if there are circumstances that impact the potential of being admitted i am interested how that process will be navigated in the sense of it going above and beyond a normal standard admittance process for most student athletes yeah, I think that's that's fair, and we'll keep an eye on that. And that's uh, that's why I, I can't definitively like when this report came out a week ago from on three. That's that's why I couldn't confidently say like yes, like that that is what's going to happen because I think there is a lot of variables that that continue to to be a part of of weighing this. Uh, but it, it 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 exists. It's a thing that we're going to have to pay attention to for the next couple months again. Byers Sinone from Trey Rowland. Maybe you've heard of him. Once the staff gets their promotional bottles of Chattanooga whiskey, they just got in. We do a post-spring game whiskey instant reaction. I'm here for it. I think that's just Trey make, wanting to make sure he gets some samples, which he he will. That feels cool. a lot like 2018, 2019 for me, so let's do it. What do you mean uh, the 2018 spring game was fire? I'm talking about the regular season, buddy. We'll always have VTech. Before VTech, you mean? No, we had we had the swag surfing in the first. Uh, the oh first yeah, you guys were swag surfing, swag surfing in the press box. I wish I was there for that. You missed out. Good times. Uh, one more. This is from Colin Bohan and Byers Sinone. Robert Scott is not a lock to start at left tackle in 2023. Do you think they phrase the questions weirdly in order to mess with me? Like, is that part of the game at this point? I don't know. I'll buy that. Yes, I'll buy <laughs> that they phrase them weirdly to mess with you. Uh, I still think Robert will end up being a starter for that. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be left or right side. Kind of depends on where Byers fits into it all. The key for Robert Scott is just getting back to being fully healthy. I mean, he, he was beat the hell last season. That was noticeable on the field. Whenever he was on his back, getting up was a task. Now the key for him is to get back to being a healthy football player, and he's a very capable one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Zach, as I try to deal with the double negatives here with the Byersonome format, and I'm still trying to decipher what Colin want, like how to answer this. Are you Byersonome and Robert Scott uh, not being uh, Robert Scott is not a lock to start at left tackle in 2023. So I guess I'm that to be yeah. specific. The way I read that is. Yeah, it would be a Sinone because I believe he will start. He will but left but, tackle is to uh, be determined. I, I will buy it because I don't think he is a lock to start. I think he's Correct. extremely yeah, likely. Of, yeah. That's my my expectation is that he's gonna start, but I'm not 
buying that he's a lock to start. I think there's going to be some level of, does he get, you know, is he fully healthy when the season comes around? And then um, is Jeremiah Byers a guy that can, um, you know, jump into the mix at left tackle or someone else, bless Harris. Like there, there's other tackles in the room, Darius Washington, like we'll see. Um, but I, that, my expectation is that he starts, but I'm not buying that he's a lock to start. To help Brendan out here, please write questions to him like he's a fourth grader. Thank you. Explain to me as you would a child, please. Okay, I think that's everything for this episode of On the Bench. Zach, do you want to stick the landing here? For Brendan Sinone, for Christine, I'm Zach Wasting. This was On the Bench. Make sure to take advantage of the Battle's End promo deal. Um, one month free of Null 24-7 from now until the end of spring ball on April 15th. Shout out Chattanooga Whiskey. Shout out the Turner Group. This was on the bench. Appreciate you guys. See ya. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.